Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. Here's what I need help with, though. Uh, we've had a lot of extra and kind of different things today. So I need your help uh, with helping me to remember one more kind of extra special thing. We have a special first-time guest with us this morning. Uh, for those of you who have not noticed, uh, Micah and Savannah are here with a new addition. And so we praise the Lord for that. Here's what we want to do, though. At the end of the service, after the time of invitation, uh, I'm going to have an opportunity for Micah and Savannah to introduce the little one to us. And Micah, I'll have you close in prayer. So church, who's going to help me remember? Because uh, once I get through what I got, I'm getting older, church, all right? And when you get older, you're prone to forget. All right, thank you. Uh, just, just shout out at me if I forget. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Hey, what's our theme for the year? Church matters. Church matters. Hey, we as the called out assembly, we are the visible representation of the body of Christ in this world. And Paul describes this in another book as the pillar and ground of truth. Now, since church matters, it matters that we deal with matters within the church biblically. And so that's why on Sunday mornings the Lord has led us. We're going verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at what God has for us in his words. Now, we're in a section of this book where Paul is answering some of the questions from this church. Aren't you glad that God can handle your questions? Aren't you glad that God's not stumped by the tough things of life? But here's what we're going to get into this morning. God can handle my questions. But the problem is, sometimes we struggle handling the questions among ourselves. Amen. And what we have today is kind of an example of that. The church at Corinth was divided. Uh, there was this issue within the church. The question for the church was probably something from the church was something like this. Can or should a Christian eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. Now, I'll give you a little backdrop. If you lived in that world, uh, in that day and age, your grocery options were limited. Today, you can go to Miller's, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Sam's Club, you can go to Aldi, uh, you can go to uh, uh, Bassett's. I don't know. Does Target sell groceries? I don't know. Don't go to Target. Uh, but uh, you can go all over the place, right? Hey, you can even order them online and have them shipped to your house. How cool is that? There are specialty shops as well for just about anything you can imagine. But in that day, it wasn't the case. If you wanted groceries, especially if you wanted meat, you had two options. You go to the general market, and they had kind of lesser quality stuff. If you wanted the good stuff when it came to protein, though, there was one place to go. And that was the temple of the false idols. Because, see, what would happen is this. Uh, people would bring their sacrifices to the false temple, to the idols, and, and their priests would sacrifice it. They would burn part of it. The priests would keep part of it. But then the priests would sell the rest of it to fund their endeavors. And so you think about it. They had dozens and dozens of hundreds of gods and hundreds of sacrifices coming every day. I mean, there was meat galore. And it was fresh and it was choice because you don't bring, you don't bring grade D uh, uh, sheep uh, to the idol. You bring the grade A stuff. And so if you wanted the good stuff, you went to the temple of the idol. And so the Christians were divided amongst themselves. I mean, that meat was involved in the worship of a false god. 
Should we buy that? Should we eat that? Should we go to Zeus's bar and grill and have a bacon cheeseburger? What do we do? Some said yes. Some said no. And it was so contentious that they wrote the apostle Paul about it. It's such association to idols and idol worship, a sinful thing. And they asked Paul to settle the matter. Now, I am glad, praise the Lord, that the question of meat is not a pressing or divisive issue in our day and age. Except maybe discussions on what temperature to cook a steak to. I've heard some pretty passionate discussions about that. Or the amount of meat that you need to be able to eat to prove your spirituality or manhood. Can I get an amen? Amen. While questions of meat are not a matter for the church today, questions of conscience have always been a source of controversy for the church. Uh, There's a story of two famous preachers, D.L. Moody and Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And uh, the story is told a couple of different ways. We'll we'll tell it this way. Uh, uh, That D.L. Moody, he was was a great fan, if you would, of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he went over to see Charles Haddon Spurgeon and to preach for him. And as the story goes, D.L. Moody knocked on uh, Charles had Spurgeon's door, and Spurgeon walked to the door and answered it, and he had a big old cigar in his mouth. Spurgeon was a smoker. A lot of people were back in that day. And so he's puffing on a stogie, and, uh, uh, but D.L. Moody was aghast. He said, sir, how could you as a man of God do that with your body? And as the story goes, You have to understand, uh, we'll we'll say this, Moody was, he was a well-rounded Christian. (laughs) And so, uh, when D.L. Moody said, how could you as a man of God smoke that cigar? It is said that Spurgeon stepped towards Moody, poked him in his protruding belly, and said the same way that you, a man of God, can be that fat. Questions of conscience have always been a source of controversy within the church. Let me give you some examples, all right? Uh, Don't anybody get too angry. We're just listing things. But these are things that are matters of conscience and controversy within the church today. Uh, Styles of worship. Matters of entertainment. What we should watch on TV, what we shouldn't watch on TV. Should we watch movies? What movies should we watch? What shouldn't we watch? Music. What music is acceptable to listen to? Video games. Matters of politics. How about this? How we raise, educate, and discipline our children. Hmm. Dancing. Well, preacher, can Christians dance? I, I can't, but I guess some can. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Application of principles of modesty and appropriateness. How do we handle things like Halloween, etc., etc., etc.? Hey, most of you are still here. That's good. I'll give you this example. Consider with me swimming. You recognize, and maybe you don't, that in many places down south, Um, I would not be qualified to pastor the church because I take my kids swimming. And yet here, last year, the church sent my family to the water park for Christmas. (laughs) Now here's the thing. We can spend our time fighting and tearing down one another over these things, and many do. Or, or, just maybe, 
there is a better and more biblical way to handle matters of conscience and controversy. So we're going to get some principles to help here from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, before I do that, let me give you a couple of presuppositions, okay? And so these are things that the whole thing is built off of. Number one, I think we've got to remember this, that God has called us as Christians to holiness. Oh, no, 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 no. You've got to be with me on this. God has called us as Christians to holiness. We are called to be like Jesus. We, as children of the Most High King, are intrinsically different from the world, and that will show in how we live our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we've already seen it, beginning in verse 9. Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were, past tense, some of you. But now, you're washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There is an intrinsic difference between the child of God and the children of this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 1, Paul says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse number 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men. What? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We are called to be different. Therefore, as we talk about matters of conscience, it ought to be our presupposition that we are not talking about that which God has already declared to be sin. You and I don't get to have a say on what God has already said. And so presupposition number one, God has called us as Christians to be holy. Presupposition number two, that we must grow to know the difference between what is essential and what is not. We must never raise the non-essential to the level of essential. And we must never lower that which is essential to the place of non-essential. We must learn to be loud where the Bible is loud and be humble where the Bible is quiet. Presupposition number three. Remember, Paul is answering a specific question. This is a short answer to a specific question. And so there are many other principles that affect things that are not covered in this chapter. I'll give you one, the principle of authority. Paul says, uh, God says, in many places, obey them that have the rule over you. So when I was youth pastor, I used to tell the teens this way. You know what? If mom and dad have a rule, who cares what you think? Teenager, I have my Christian liberty. No, you have the Bible that says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Period. So if mom and dad say don't listen to that music, don't listen to that music. If mom and dad say don't go there, don't go there. If mom and dad say don't hang out with that person, don't hang out with that person. By the way, by the way, we don't ever get away from authority, do we? And so this principle of authority, you think about it where you work. You have principles of institutional. Uh, The institution has principles because why? They have authority. We have standards within the church. Institutional rules. And so there are many other things we have to take into consideration. Because you may, you, you may feel you have liberty, but hear me, if the authority God has placed over you 
has created a different context, you need to operate within that context. And so this is a short answer to a specific question. This is not a comprehensive theology on Christian liberty. Well, I feel like I've already preached a sermon, but you ready? All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, let's look beginning in verses 1 through 7. The Bible says this, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols... We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be many gods, many and lords, many. But to us, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we in him and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto the idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So, how do we handle matters of conscience, conscience and controversy within the church? Number one, Paul points out here the shortcomings of logic. Uh, the shortcomings of logic. Paul, he, he begins to talk about knowledge. How many of us recognize knowledge is a wonderful thing? Amen. Knowledge is a wonderful thing. Knowledge is a God-given capacity that we have uh, to learn and come to understand the world that we live in. Knowledge is a beautiful thing because it can ground us in reality. I love how Paul fleshes it out. Verse 4, he talks about, We know that an idol is nothing, and there is none other God but one. He says in verse 6, But unto us there is but one God. And so you have to understand, these Corinthians were coming out of, uh, out of superstition pagan religion and they were having to learn some things about what's real. The idol's not real. It's just this thing made of wood or made of stone or made of silver or gold. But he's not real. There is one God. Amen. And so knowledge, it helps ground us. We can eliminate some false superstitions. We can begin to work through some false suppositions. How many of you maybe who were saved a little bit later in life recognize that when you got saved, you had to, as you went through the scriptures, learn that, huh, the way I've been thinking my whole life, that's not actually right. That's not actually true. That's not actually correct. And so knowledge, it helps to ground us, to get rid of those false superstitions, to work through those false suppositions. Knowledge is a beautiful thing. It helps us to grow. I love what Paul said in 2 Timothy. He said, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the... Rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, Paul is not anti-knowledge. Knowledge is a beautiful thing. Knowledge is an important thing. And you know what? When we take knowledge and we apply it to this case of should we eat the meat? Here's what knowledge says applied to the meat situation. Who cares if I eat at Zeus's bar and grill? Because Zeus isn't real. Who cares if when they prepared it, they said a little prayer to this God or that goddess? Because they're not real. I'm not there for them. I'm just there for the burger and fries. And so knowledge helps to strip away a lot of that other things. Knowledge is beneficial. But here's what Paul has 
to point out. And here's what you and I have to learn. Though knowledge is beneficial, knowledge by itself makes for a poor base to build from for a couple of reasons. Number one, Paul says knowledge tends to puff up. Did you notice that in verse number one? He said knowledge puffeth up. Hmm. Sometimes we think we're growing, but instead of growing, we're actually just swelling. (laughs) Knowledge tends to puff up. You know what? It's easy to learn a little bit and lose sight of how much you don't know. He said that in verse number 2. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing as he ought to know. And so, hey, this is what I know. And as soon as you think yourself an expert, guess what? You have taken yourself out of position to be able to speak on that. Because you have lost sight about how much you have no idea about. You ever heard the thing, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing? Or you know just enough to be dangerous? By the way, that's why young Christians, I encourage you, don't get puffed up in knowledge. You know, young Christians often grow rapidly. I mean, we we see that that's the case. When you have a baby, uh, they grow exponentially quicker. Newborn to age five, and then they do the rest of their lives. But they're just starting. And so young Christians grow and hunger and learn and, 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 and drink the sincere milk of the word and learn to chew and to gnaw on the meat of the word. But hey, be careful because one of the shortcomings of knowledge is knowledge tends to puff up. It tends to make us arrogant. Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 12, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. And if any man thinketh he knoweth anything... He says, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Hmm. It's easy to learn a little bit and lose sight of just how much you don't know. So knowledge falls short. Why? Number one, knowledge tends to puff up. Secondly, Paul points this out. He says, some things are not solved by knowledge alone because knowledge is not shared by everyone. Did you notice that in verse number 7? How be it, there is not in every man that knowledge. In other words, you know that there's nothing behind that statue. You know that there's no Zeus. There's no Aphrodite. There's no this God. There's no that God. But not everybody has the same level of knowledge you do. In fact, there would be many who, who coming out of that lifestyle of worshiping false gods would see anything as connected to that false god as continued engagement of worship of it. And they didn't want anything to do with it. And so knowledge, while it's a wonderful thing, not everybody shares the same knowledge. Think about it this way. Think about a kid who's afraid of the dark. Now, is there anything about the dark to be afraid of? No. So what do you do with a young child who is truly scared of the dark? Well, if you're me, you take a couple of different approaches. You say, get over it. And if that doesn't work, this may or may not be true. You say something along the lines of, you need to be more afraid of me than the dark. Um, I learned that from Bill Brown. Um, But if you're my wife, you're far more spiritual than I am. And what do you do? You don't lecture the fear away. What do you do? You come alongside. And you help them work through it. 
And so knowledge falls short because not everything can be solved by knowledge alone. Because knowledge is not shared by everyone. And ultimately to lecture them and to browbeat them uh, with your knowledge. Boy, it's going to do more harm than good. I love how Paul points out in verse number three. He said, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Ultimately, Paul points this out. He says, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Better yet, Paul says, it's not what you know, it's who knows you. And by the way, in verse number two, or verse number one and verse number three, we do have a hint here as to the ultimate answer for matters of conscience and controversy in the church. With the wording, he says, if any man love God, what is it about? It's about knowing God. And it's about loving God. And it's about knowing that God loves you. I'm going to tell you, logic is good. But when it comes to matters of conscience and controversy, logic alone will fall short. So Paul develops, continues to develop. Look back with me at verse number 7. You still with me? Say amen. amen. He says, how be it, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this very hour eat it as a thing offered unto the idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, they cannot separate the meat from the worship. And their conscience says, by partaking of the meat, I am in some way partaking of that worship. I can't sit under the blessing of the false god. I can't sit under that. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Verse number 8. He said, but meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, and neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, uh, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, read those next four words with me. Ye sin against Christ. So how do we handle matters of conscience and controversy in the church? Number one, we find that we find the shortcomings of logic. Logic is great. Knowledge is wonderful, but knowledge alone falls short. Secondly, Paul points out here the shortcomings of liberty. The shortcomings of liberty. Now, logic is a great thing, amen? Amen. Liberty is a great thing, amen? Hey, I praise the Lord that in Christ we are free from the bondage of the law. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1. Paul says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I am so glad that I can put bacon on my cheeseburger amongst a variety of other things. Amen. Bacon being one of the great blessings of being a member of the church. But praise the Lord. We are free in Christ. Hey, no, no, no. Praise the Lord. We're free in Christ. Hey, we're free. That's a wonderful thing. I am free to enjoy the abundant life that God has given me. It's good stuff. But liberty here, as the Corinthians applied it to the situation, look what Paul said. You know, knowledge, logic said what? The idols aren't real. 
It's not real. I mean, it's empty. They don't exist. And so, who cares? So since idols aren't real and meat is good, so why would I let what's not real keep me from getting the good stuff? And some of the Corinthians believers were saying, you know what? It really is my right to eat at Zeus's bar and grill because I'm not technically doing anything wrong. It's my right. Paul says, hold up. Hey, liberty is a blessing, amen? Amen. But liberty by itself makes for a poor base to build from from a couple of reasons. First of all, liberty misapplied can easily become a very selfish thing. We find here in the text that some took their liberty so far as they were free to do whatever they wanted without regard for how it affected others. Paul said you need to take heed because you're going and your liberty is to to go and eat that meat. But verse number 9, he says this liberty of yours can become a stumbling block to them who are weak. So in doing so, liberty had become, the one's liberty had become a stumbling block or an obstacle to those around them. Their their conscience could not separate the meat from the false god. Their conscience could not separate the meat from the idol worship. And so the, the believers with the weaker conscience were torn as they watched their fellow believers engage in what they believed was an aspect of idol worship. Hmm. Paul says, you know what? If we are so liberal with our liberty, we have to understand that we can offend our weaker brothers. We can cause them to stumble. And if we cause them to stumble, look at verse number 11, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish. That word perish means to come to ruin. Hmm. You know, it's a good reminder for us that, praise God, I am free in Christ. But Christianity was never meant to be lived in a me-first way. Never. Christianity was never meant to be lived in a me-first way. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 13, a beautiful verse here. For brethren, ye have been called to liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. In other words, my liberty is not my license to please myself. That's not what the liberty is about. Christianity was never meant to be lived in a me-first way. So the shortcomings of liberty, number one, liberty misapplied can easily become a selfish thing. Number two, liberty was never meant to be governed by my passions. What I want, what I like. What I feel I need. Liberty was never meant to be governed by my passions. But liberty was always meant to be governed by biblical principles. Let me give you a couple of principles real quick. First of all, consider this when it comes to liberty, the test of utility. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. We've already looked at it. Paul says, all things are lawful unto me. Hey, I have liberty in Christ. But, not, but all things are not expedient. In other words, all things are not profitable. 
They're not beneficial. And so think about the test of utility. Is this thing that I want to claim liberty in, is there any benefit? Is there any profit to it? The test of utility. After the test of utility, we should also consider the test of authority. Look at verse 12 again. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. By the way, you think about things like TV, video games, things like that. Do we have liberty in Christ? Sure we do. But should that video game have power over you? Should you be in bondage to that? Oh, no. Should that TV have bondage over you? Should that hobby have bondage over you? No. No. So you've got to think about the principle of utility. You've got to think about the principle of authority. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Think about the principle of utility. Think about the principle of authority. Think about the principle of charity or the test of charity. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23. Hey, we're headed this direction. Paul says again, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. In other words, not everything builds up. And so i got to think about my fellow believer. Will this help build them up or will this potentially tear them down? Liberty was never meant to be governed by my passions. It was meant to be governed by biblical principles. Let me give you one more. This was a late addition to the message, but I think it's worth visiting. So number one, liberty misapplied can become a selfish thing. Number two, liberty was never meant to be governed by my passions. What I want, what I need, what I... But it's meant to be governed by biblical principles. Number three, true matters of liberty are not worth fighting about. I'm going to let that sit there. True matters of liberty are not worth fighting about. Did you notice verse number eight? Paul says this. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better. Neither if we eat not are we the worse. In other words, whether you eat it or don't eat it, it doesn't make you more spiritual. Whether you eat it or don't eat it, it doesn't make you more righteous. If I eat it, I'm not one step ahead. And if I don't eat it, I'm not one step behind. It doesn't really matter. And since it doesn't really matter, it is a non-essential in the scope of things, it's not worth fighting about. It's not worth fighting about. Whether you feel free to fill in the blank or you don't feel free to fill in the blank, it doesn't make you more spiritual. Romans 14 gives us a beautiful principle here. Romans 14, verse number 3. Paul's speaking about very similar things. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Hmm. Who art thou to judge? Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. Guess what? They don't have to believe exactly like you do. They don't have to order their home exactly like I do. They don't have to wear clothes like I wear or or talk exactly like I talk. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of things we can be different on and it can be okay. 
Because at the end of the day, every one of us are going to answer to God. You don't need to answer to me on those things, and I don't really need to answer to you. Because every one of us will answer to God, and he is well able to take care of his business. I'll give you a quick summary statement here. Liberty has never been a license to do whatever you want. Now, in the Greek mindset, and even in the Western American mindset, we have this view. That liberty means I'm free to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Period. And if you don't believe it, come at me. That, that's our American mindset. But I'm going to tell you, that's not the biblical meaning of the word liberty. This is what it means biblically when we talk about liberty. It, biblical view of liberty is that I am free. I am finally free in Christ to do what is best, to do what is biblical, to do what is blessed, and to do what is a blessing to others. Hey, liberty is a great thing, amen? But the problem is, in matters of conscience and controversy, liberty alone will often fall short. I'm glad Paul didn't leave us there with just all the things that really don't work. We see the shortcomings of logic. Knowledge is a good thing, but knowledge alone will fall short. We've seen the shortcomings of liberty. Liberty is a great thing, but liberty alone will fall short. Paul gives us, though, he kind of bookends the chapter with this idea. The supremacy of love. The supremacy of love. Go back to verse number one. There the Bible says, Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we... All have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. Read those next three words with me. But charity edifies. So knowledge will make you swell up, but love will help you build up. Charity means love. I love Paul's summary at the end of the chapter, verse number 13. He talks about the shortcomings of logic. He talks about the shortcomings of liberty. He he talks about the supremacy of love. And in verse number 13, he gives us the statement. He said, wherefore, because of all of this, if meat make my brother to offend, if it scandalizes, causes my brother to stumble and fall to ruin, if meat makes my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now, let me give you an important biblical principle here. It's not borne out in this chapter, but I think it's an important one for us to know. On matters of, on matters of liberty, matters of conscience, here's what you need to do. You need to let the Bible and the Holy Spirit lead your conscience, form your conscience, and then you need to follow it. And then you need to follow it. Don't live a doubtful life because of what somebody else allows. Well, brother so-and-so does such and such, and I don't know. I mean, if brother so-and-so does it, I mean, he's been saved a long time. I don't really understand it, and I don't really like it, but I guess if he does it, maybe I can do it. No. Don't, don't live a life of doubt because of what somebody else does. You let the Bible and the Holy Spirit form and lead your conscience, and then you follow it. Biblical principle, Romans chapter 14. Let's look at this, verse 22 and 23. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is 
He that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth, look what it says, is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith. What is it, church? Sin. In other words, just because my conscience allows it, if your conscience doesn't, don't do it. Because if you can't do it in faith, it might not be sin for me, but if you do it in doubt, it is sin for you. And just because my conscience doesn't allow me to do certain things, doesn't mean that I'm less spiritual. It means that I need to follow as God's word and God's spirit form my conscience. I need to follow that. Because if we don't live in faith, we are living in sin. The doubtful life is sin. And so be settled in your soul. So this is a good piece of pastoral counsel then. If in doubt, don't. Because if it's not of faith, it is. So if in doubt, don't. Maybe seek more knowledge. Maybe seek counsel. Maybe get in your Bible. Maybe ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten your eyes. But if you are in doubt, don't. But, while that's good for us personally, what do we do when it finds its way into our interpersonal relationships? Because individuals and churches are going to disagree on things. And that's not just okay, it's Honestly, unavoidable. In verse number one, Paul draws an immediate contrast, elevating love over logic. Knowledge puffs up, but charity, love, builds up. And then throughout the chapter, Paul develops the argument that demands that our liberty, hey, I'm free in Christ, amen? He develops the argument that our liberty needs to be directed by love. So much so that he ends the chapter with a jarring statement of just how far love should go. He said, if meat would make my brother stumble while the world stands, I won't eat it. By the way, I don't know that I love you that much. Because I love meat, alright? So the Apostle Paul gives me something to aspire to. But again, I'm glad meat is not the issue of the church today. So what do we do when conscience and controversy come into the church? Honestly, I think we do what we do no matter who or what enters the church. What do we do? We greet them in the love of Christ. So when matters of conscience and controversy come in, what do we do? We greet them with the love of Christ. What does the Bible say? Receive in love those brethren whose consciences are more sensitive than ours. Respond in love and deference, preferring one another in matters of controversy. By the way, I'll give you study this week. Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 15, Galatians chapter 5 are great chapters to help you round out a theology of how we handle matters of conscience and controversy. So what do we do? In love, we do give truth. Amen? We want to have knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing to build up weaker brethren. In love, though, we also exercise Mature restraint when needed as not to offend the weaker brethren. You see the balance we maintain? We build up in knowledge. We, res- we, we build up with knowledge and love. We restrain liberty in love. And I'm going to tell you, it's a whole lot easier to fall to one extreme or the other. 
We want to browbeat people with knowledge. You should know this is what the Bible says. You should know. Back in, back in ancient times, Wednesday was named after the Norse god of the wind. And therefore, we ought not recognize Wednesdays on the calendar. You should know these things. Okay? And we browbeat people. Stop it. Stop it. It's easy to go to one extreme or the other to beat them over the head with your knowledge or even to steamroll them with your liberty. I don't care about you. I'm going to do me. You do you. I'm going to do me. And who cares? Well, God cares. But you see what happens is love helps us maintain the difficult but necessary position of balance where we give truth in love but we also restrain liberty in love. Because at the end of the day, we are called to love one another as Christ has loved us. Love builds up. Love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter chapter 4 and verse number 8. And above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. What does controversy need? It needs love. Love for God and love for others is still the great commandment. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse number 36, Jesus was asked, Master, which is the great commandment? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. He said, And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In fact, Paul goes so far as to saying love of God and love of others is the fulfillment of every commandment. Galatians 5 and verse number 13, we read it. He said, Brethren, ye have been called to liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And maybe, just maybe, the better, more biblical way than beating one another over the head with our knowledge or steamrolling one another with our liberty It's maybe, maybe, just maybe, we need to quit trying to lord our opinions over one another and just get back to loving one another. I love the Apostle Paul because in the end, Paul never really did answer the question with a yes or no. I mean, that's what we want, right? Because I don't know about you, but like, I want to be right. You're free to be wrong if you disagree with me, but I want to be right. And I hope one day you'll be right and agree with me on every matter, right? (laughs) Like, I want a yes or a no. Like, I can see the two groups. They're like, oh, yeah, one of them's getting ready to be like, ha, told you so. Told you so, you bunch of heathens. (laughs) I can see it. But Paul never actually tells them a yes or a no. Because perhaps more important than being right about something that is non-essential is being right with those who are essential. 
Church, there will always be areas where we have differences in conscience that could create controversy in our church. What will we do when those things arise? Will we get mad and take our football, go home and quit? Will we try to beat one another over the head with our superior knowledge and argument? Will we steamroll one another with our liberty? Or will we do as we are instructed to do in all matters, not just matters of conscience and controversy, but engage one another and edify one another in the love of Christ? <coughs>